In this episode, Pastor William Shiflett and Scott discuss the book, Saved from What, by Dr. R.C. Sproul. William is pastor of Reasoning Tree Church in Edinburgh, Virginia. He is also a licensed pilot, motorcycle enthusiast, blogger, and author of several books. Please see the information below to check out the links to his information. Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards is brought to you by BibleBulldog.com. After we're, we, we become Christians, do you think we sometimes focus on I too much? Uh, I, I think, I th uh, certainly that's possible, but I, I also wonder if he's not, here again, this is part of the, where you can unpack a passage of scripture almost indefinitely if you, if you drill down. Is he thinking of salvation in the terms of Roman society where I need to go to this temple and make a sacrifice? Remember, there's another place where Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, uh, I think it was Paul and Barnabas, they healed, they, 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 God did work the healing through them, and the people began to worship them. And, and Paul said, no, no, don't do that, we're like you, we're men just like you. So you wonder if this guy might not be, have that same kind of frame of mind. Okay, here's these guys, God has demonstrated they have this power, so what must I do as a religious act? And that's where Paul comes back and says, believe on the Lord Jesus, mm -hmm. which, you know, echoes back to the, the Gospels themselves, where the people say to Jesus, what must we do to work the will of God, work the works of God? And, and Jesus says, believe on him who he sent. Mm -hmm. They were in the same position of what kind of work can I perform to get this problem resolved instead of... Uh, putting your trust in Christ because he's the only one that can fix the problem, which is the real problem is sin. Right. Personal sin and human brokenness. Uh, Dr. Sproul goes on and he talks about the uh, woman that uh, asked Christ to cure of her disease. And with a touch, Jesus healed her and, uh, and said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I never really thought about it or dug into this this particular verse that that deep. Uh, when Jesus said, "Your faith has saved you," was he talking about, uh, you know, e her etern eternal salvation, or was he just talking about, "I've healed," you know, "You've asked me to heal you, so I have healed you." Which also begs the question that's you know we've talked about before is. Uh, why did, why did Jesus heal her and not everyone? Right, right. Well, the, the answer to the second question is obviously his healings were a sign of his uh, of his divinity, of his role as the Messiah. A lot of people misunderstand that. They think that he healed everybody uh, when he didn't. His healings were proof that he was the Messiah. Right. Again, you're looking at people look at the Gospels without taking into that three-year period. So it's not every day. There's all kinds of periods of time where he's not doing miracles. But that is a very intriguing question because typically people say the healing and salvation go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Now there's where you get in trouble. If healing and salvation go hand in hand, then if you were saved, you should be healed. Right. Obviously, it doesn't work that way. So it is a question of whether he's just saved her from physical death, from a physical sickness, and... Uh, and or did he did he save her from both? 
I would say that my assumption would be that she was saved from the physical affliction, but that because of that miracle, she would be likely to follow Christ and follow uh, the teachings of Christ and be connected to the disciples when Christ died and the gospel began to be preached. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might be drilling it down. We have to be careful there. But he might be drilling down to the simple fact that you, you've recognized in a way the other people around you haven't that I am the Messiah of God sent to bring salvation of sins. And it is that belief that has uh, resulted in this healing. Okay, mm-hmm. Not just the belief in that, that Jesus can heal, but that the reason he can heal is that he's God's Messiah. Right. Uh-huh. And I think that's where a lot of people, again, in our culture would lose that. They, would, they just look at the healing. I need healing. God says he heals, presto, rather than I need more than just physical healing. I need something else, and that something else is forgiveness of my sins. Right. So it's one of those, it's one of those things that you can speculate a, a lot about. But you have to keep the the broader context of Scripture in mind to do it. Right, and uh, of course, you know that the miracles and the healings and things like that was uh, wasn't that like an approval from God? He approved the miracles and and uh, for instance, that at Christ's baptism, he said, "This is you know he, uh, they heard a voice from heaven." And on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, the same thing, they heard a voice from heaven said, this is my son, right. in which I am well pleased. So uh, the miracles were a sign of, of the Messiah to come, like right. you said. Exactly. And well, you, you, have, you have Luke chapter 4, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do these things, heal, bring sight to the blind, healing to the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captive. But then you fast forward to Acts chapter 10, I think it is, and and I, I think it's Peter or, or maybe Paul that says, uh, God anointed Jesus who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So yes, that, that Messiah, messianic anointing, if you want to call it that, was, uh, was manifested in healings and exorcisms that proved Jesus was the Messiah. And that's why in, a, in one place in John, Jesus says to the Pharisees, hey, you don't want to take, you don't accept my testimony. You don't want to accept what I'm saying about myself, but look at what I'm doing. Right. This cannot be done. The scriptures are clear. This can only be done by the Messiah. Why don't you believe it? And and so that's, that, that again is that, that whole connection of the miracles prove who Christ is. But my faith should not be in the miracle but in the miracle worker. Right. You know, that's the key. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sproul goes on, he's, he, he said, like you, you've already brought this out. He talks about uh, when people say they're saved, you know, they're saved from a lot of things. Like um, a boxer can be saved by the bell, I think right. he brings out in different situations where that, uh, the broad meaning of sal- salvation or being saved can be used in that matter, but but the uh, as, and also salvation. The Bible talks about salvation, and I thought this was very interesting when he brought this out. And I want you to maybe ex- expand on it a little bit. He talks about salvation, past, present, and future. 
So he talks about salvation is, uh, is used in several senses. Uh, the noun is used in several senses, and the verb to save is used in several tenses. Um, so in Ephesians 1.4, it says we're saved from the foundation of the world. So, uh, And the Bible talks about we were being saved, and let's see, I don't want to say it wrong. We're being saved, we are saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. Right. Do you want to expand on that a little bit, or is that that that's a mouthful? There. Well, yeah, but it, it is true. We were saved when we personally. So this is the way I, I've heard it expressed before. We were saved at that moment when we put our faith in Christ, mm-hmm. which of course is a a consummation of God's eternal plan. We were saved. We were we were chosen in Him from eternity past. So there is a sense when you become a Christian, you were saved. You're truly a believer. But then there is the we are being saved, which typically is thought of as sanctification. Right. The work of the Spirit to, to, to make us what he has declared us to be. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's a declaration, but it's often not true of us in our practice. So sanctification is that being changed uh through the Holy Spirit's work, through the ministry of the Word, through fellowship with other believers, iron sharpening iron, the, the, the rough parts of our character being chipped away, and we are growing in Christ. Okay. Then the third one, we shall be saved, is the way I've always heard it explained, is that that's when we have the glorification of the body. We get the new body, the resurrection, we get the new body, and that is the fullness of salvation. Now, a person who has put their faith in Christ is completely saved at that moment. The second and third phase will definitely happen if you're a true believer, because it's part of God's plan. You know, he's going to say, okay, I'm going to start here, and then if you don't make it good enough there, uh, you're out the door. That is what I always say, that's not salvation, it's probation. That's, That's Catholicism, you know, go to Mass. Uh, uh, burn candles, make confession, and then spend a, perhaps a, a thousand years or so in purgatory before you're good enough to get into heaven. Wow. That's not, there's no hope there. That's just a long, drawn out uh, uh, probation period is the way I, I tend to describe it. But yeah, those are the three. So I'm, I'm, when I put my faith in Christ, I'm truly saved. If I drop dead right then, I'm going to heaven. But that's not the end of the process. Now God begins to work through me in the Holy Spirit, which we call sanctification, and then the resurrection of the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, we are saved in this hope. And if you look at the context, it's the hope of the resurrection. Right. Okay. So we are, we are saved in the hope of what will be completed at, at the resurrection of Christ or the resurrection of, of the church, of the believers. Right. We, we take part in that resurrection. Um, then our, uh, Dr. Sproul, he kind of gets to the heart of the matter. He starts talking about saved from the wrath to come, which I guess is the main thrust or the main theme or the reason for Scripture itself. I mean, uh, all of Ro- when God reveals himself to us, it's uh, in being saved. You know, we talked about this too. I asked you a question. I think it was last week um, when you had preached on 
when we stand at, uh, in front of Christ at the last judgment. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And, of course, the person is making the plea, you know, I did all this in your name and that in your name. And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. And I asked you, you know, what, at the crux of it, what does it mean? And you said that, well, basically, it's a, it's a relationship. Right. Um, he knows us, and we know him. And if you know someone, you want to know all about them. Right. That's, what re- that's why he reveals himself to us. So through his word is how he draws people un- unto himself. Is that correct, or am I wrong? In no, it's, it, it's obviously the work of the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit uses the word uh, predominantly. Mm-hmm. Okay, He predominantly uses the word in some fashion to bring people to Christ, right, and uh, but but you know the key Doctor Sproul was bringing out again. It goes back to that thought about save from what. If I understand that I'm saved from the wrath of God, mm-hmm. uh, not misfortune, not difficult difficulties in life, save from the wrath of God, and this is a paradox. Saved by God's wrath through God's wrath because the wrath was poured out on Christ. Right. And until people really understand that, you know, when they think of it, it's just a, it is a relationship, but it's a relationship that has been purchased with a great price. And until you really get that, you know, that that what I deserve is hell and damnation. I do not deserve this. Why, Why we call it grace. But, but that's part of it. And you see that in the New Testament. A lot of people think, well, that's Revelation. That's down the road. This, uh, this, is, this is Old Testament and the way God operated back then. But no, Paul says we are not appointed for wrath. Believers are not appointed to wrath. Why? Because we're better than somebody else? No, because we have put our faith in Christ uh, as, a, as a result of his choosing us in eternity past. So... That is just, that's a very sobering thing. And I, I don't know how you could convey that to people, but you weren't just saved from a little inconvenience in life. You're saved from God's wrath, which you rightly deserve. Well, I'll try to pronounce this. Um, I kind of stutter because, you know, what I'm going, Parkinson, I, I guess, um, or just because I'm getting old, maybe. But in, in First Thessalonians, and if I slow down and say it, slow it works, down, right? It works, yeah. Um, chapter 1, 9 through 10, that reads, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Yes. So the Bible says wrath is coming. It is coming. Now, we don't hear that preached very often in, in churches. The wrath is, is coming. Of course, you know, we gather most, most of the time on... Now, maybe the reason we don't hear it in churches, uh, and I'll ask you this question, is because Sunday mornings... Uh, we gather together as Christians 
to edify each other and build up each other in the faith. So normally, I wouldn't say unless you have visitors or, you know, or, or some, of course, there can be anyone that has attended church their whole life. They could not be saved. Right. But uh, um, do you think that's the reason you don't hear it too much on Sunday mornings? Or, uh, you certainly should hear it on Wednesday nights and proclaimed throughout other avenues in the church when if if the church has any type of witnessing programs or uh, of course COVID has kind of put a lid on most of that you know visitation programs and stuff and going out and, and sharing the gospel uh, with with people but uh, what do you think? Well I would have to say that uh, I don't think Sunday morning versus Wednesday night or Sunday night or uh, or any other time should interfere with that. And here's why I say that. Because if you're preaching through the Bible, if you have a goal of engaging the fullness of Scripture, then the subject should come up uh, on a regular basis. For example, uh, the first week of our series on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those. So right from the beginning... He's making a distinction between people that go to heaven and people that go to hell. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have that, you, you know, you might not use the word wrath of God, but the concept is there. Right. Some people are going to be saved. Other people are going to be lost. Uh, so if you're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, you're going to come to that verse. 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, he uses the same thing. We are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain through salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're if if we are if we and we should say it that way if we are faithfully unpacking the scriptures in a comprehensive fashion, then every person in the church should hear about the wrath of God right. at some point or another. Of course, if you read the book of Revelation, you see the wrath of God, um, and you you hear about it. But again, uh, Romans chapter one verse eighteen, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. So I think if we are preaching comprehensively. And we're engaging with this, with the concepts of Scripture and the reason for salvation. You're going to come upon that subject, and and should come upon it uh, rather regularly. And then note that as a he delivers us from the wrath to come. There is wrath coming. It's already being revealed. It's already working out among human humankind. But there is a greater measure, if you will, coming. And that's what we've been saved, you know, saved from. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a very valid point. But, I, you know, again, I'm rambling. But if, you, if, you're in, if you're unpacking the scripture in a comprehensive fashion, you're going to deal with those subjects. Now, years ago, as you know, and, and some churches are still successful at this. They have a Sunday evening service that typically is called an evangelistic service uh, but you know I don't think we can wait till Sunday evening for people to show up it's like you said mm -hmm. we're praying people would come in on Sunday morning who need to hear it and uh, receive it uh, and if they come then we need to declare if I could just say one more thing and you know I know every church doesn't have a sign they don't have a letter board but for the churches that do if you drive by the church and look on the sign, you can pretty much tell that it's, you know, the, the message about 
Now, our time, we don't put this week's message. We put just the everyday uh, uh, thoughts. But a lot of churches put the pastor's sermon on there and just, just look at them. And you can almost tell what it's, you know, that it's not going to be any substance or depth in, in, the, in the message. So, yes, if we're, if we're unpacking the scripture faithfully, we will uh, deal with the issue of God's wrath on a regular and recurring basis. Uh, Dr. Sproul asks this question. He says, what, what is this wrath that's coming? Um, he said, some scholars believe that uh, it's a reference to the doom of Jerusalem in AD 70. Um, what, what, group, what group scholars is he talking about there? I mean, is he talking about, are we talking about the great, you know, you know, the day of the Lord. Um, uh, is that the wrath that Jesus, that uh, Scripture is talking about, that Jesus delivers us from? Well, that's a great question. That is a very good question, and I would I would say that uh, again. While and and R.C. Sproul would definitely fall into this uh, into this category. Of, of believing that much of uh, Matthew 24 happened in 70 AD. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a time of wrath. God did j- judge the Jewish nation for their rebellion and rejection of him. Right. Jesus says that to him. He says, your house has left you desolate when he was here. You know, the temple's going to be cast down. Certainly there was that moment of wrath. But if you only restrict it to that period, then it seems to imply the rest of us Gentiles aren't as bad as them, and we're going to get off. That's true. So, so I see it. I can see it as fulfilled in seventy A.D. as far as the judgment on Jerusalem. But I see it also coming upon all the kingdoms of men and all of humankind who live in rebellion against God. So I would I would not limit it to that to that period. I'm not sure which scholars he's talking about, uh, but unless they're unless they're absolute, complete, total praetorists, which means everything uh, was fulfilled in in, seven, in the first century right. of the predictions of Christ. But I would argue that the wrath of God is is not could not be limited to the first century because that would imply that after that people were no longer guilty of the sins mm-hmm. that we are guilty of. Right. Um, he also makes this statement. Uh, he says, I think the greatest point of unbelief in our culture and in our church today is an unbelief in the wrath of God and his certain promise of judgment for the human race. Do you agree with, yeah. with him there? Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and, and it's, it is a challenging issue. Okay, when I say that, I, I don't, I'm not trying to water it down at all. I have understanding, and I I can understand how people are hesitant to embrace the idea that most of humanity is lost and will spend eternity separated from all that's good and gracious. That's an overwhelming thought. Um, But I do believe it is that thought that causes so many people to gravitate towards well, that God really couldn't mean that. That can't be what God is saying. He must mean something else. And we have to just keep in mind that whenever we say that, we're actually suggesting that suggesting 
that God really doesn't know what he's doing, that our sin is not as bad as, as he or the historic church or some preachers say it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it is that, and it is worse than that. There's no human being that can comprehend, and right now I'm trying to think of a statement by Jonathan Edwards. Uh, it might have been by Jonathan Edwards who said, if you, if you have a problem with hell, it's because you really don't understand sin. Mm-hmm. You just don't understand the horror that sin uh, presents to a holy and righteous God. You, you just don't. It's not, it's not God's at fault. It is us who are at fault because we don't, we don't have a comprehension of sin. What I try to do, and I've, I've said this, take the worst day you've ever had, I mean the most horrible day you've ever had, and multiply it by a million, and then you have a smidgen of what sin looks like to God. And, and if you, obviously none of us can grasp that, but, but that is what the Scripture says, that's what it teaches, and I do believe there's just a tendency in our modern culture where we have so many safeguards, medical technology, etc., that protect us from the bad stuff that we, we just can't imagine God being that way. And that's why we have to go to the Word. Mm-hmm. And when we read that passage in Zephaniah and the description, descriptiveness of that day of the Lord, it's horrible. We accept that. And we run to Christ for deliverance for deliverance from that day. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about people today simply do not believe that there's going to be a, a day of judgment, but if we believed it, if we really believed it, the energy of our evangelism would increase a hundredfold. So he's saying that not only do, you know, he's not talking about just the unsaved. He said the the people in the church right. uh, who are Christians, we really don't believe there's a, a day of judgment because if we did, there would be that urgency to to go out and tell people about Christ because, it, I mean, if you love someone, you certainly don't want them spending eternal, eternity in, in hell. Right. Um, well, and, and I agree with that. I do agree with that. You know, I, I often ask myself, uh, sometimes when I'm pondering this, I, I, I ask myself, do you really believe it? Do we believe that lost people are going to hell? And I honestly think that a lot of people just in the back of their minds, they simply say, well, God will do something. He'll work it out. Mm-hmm. And that's why they don't talk to people uh, about Christ. They hide their faith. Uh, they, they avoid some of the hot-button issues of our culture. And uh, we have to, I think we have to admit and acknowledge that we have not always been, uh, we have not always been successful at lovingly warning about hell. Mm-hmm. You have heard, you know, the fire and brimstone preachers and, and, and that kind of stuff that gave, gave, gave Christian faith a bad name. Uh, the people from that Baptist church out in Kansas who went years ago to the funerals of servicemen. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they just put a bad taste in people's mouths. Right. But we cannot stop sharing the message because 
people before us shared the message badly. Right. We still have to share the message, and we do have to pray, God, make it real, make eternity without Christ real in our minds so that we can we can share uh, share the, the 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 message that keeps people from experiencing that eternal wrath of God. Um, he says that in a lot of churches, uh, most of the things you hear is God loves you and God has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, you you spoke about that before, and we don't hear too much about the day. A judgment, and that's probably because they're not going through the scriptures, right. um, verse by verse, and teaching teaching the Bible, God's word, the way they they should. Because and then he goes on and he talks about uh, the prophet Amos, and he, I'll read that real quick. It's Amos chapter five, verses eighteen through twenty. It says, "Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord." That speaks to us today yeah. too. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? So that paints a dark, dark yeah. picture yeah. of... Uh, now, what again, it's going to be for the lost. Exactly. Know? He is talking to the rebels in, in, in Israel and Jerusalem and Judah at that time. Uh, and they, they, were, they were looking for this utopian day to come when everything would be their way. Mm-hmm. And, and God says, you're, you don't know what you're even asking for, you know. But uh, I do think, again, if you... And I know, okay, so maybe somebody's watching this and they say, well... You know, at my, I went to church for years, and, and it was just dry and slow, and, and I never got anything out of it. Well, I understand that, okay? Everybody's gifts are different. But if you are, the church will not survive if we are not engaging with all of Scripture. And if you just take a, uh, a topical approach, then that's where you fall into the love of God. It's always the love of God. It's always the love of God. Not diminishing the love of God, but you have to have a contrast. Mm-hmm. God's love is meaningless unless you see God's wrath and God's hatred of sin. Mm-hmm. Until you see that you have been moved from this camp to this one by His grace, this is not going to mean anything to you. It cheapens grace. Denying hell cheapens grace. Right. It just... You, you think you deserve it. You think you, you know, God's just given you what you deserve. Well, no, if he was giving us what we deserve, we would all be in hell today. Right. You know, so that's, that's something we have to keep in mind. And there are just a lot of churches, and this is a sad point. Most churches in America today are guilty of that. God loves you. Everything's going to be okay. Go on, live your life. Don't don't fret about it. Mm-hmm. And that is not at all what Jesus says when you read the Gospels. Right? When we t- when we talk about relationship mm-hmm. with Christ and knowing Him or knowing God, um, He is love. He is mercy. He is grace. 
but he's also holy. He's also righteous. He's also just. And there is wrath that's to coming. That is coming. So unless we know all of the attributes of God, we don't know. We don't know God. We only know a partial God and one that we've made up in our in our own minds, which I think the Bible calls that idolatry. Yes. So that that's what I was trying to get out uh, earlier. But he talks about salvation and he's getting down to to the tax. Uh, uh, Salvation is not only of the Lord it's from from the Lord. And uh, people don't like to hear that either. No, no, because that means it's it's his work. Right. And not ours. We mm-hmm. we like to we like to think, okay, here it is if you want to take it. And the the what the scripture really says is that the, he does make that offer, but the scripture teaches that the person who responds to the author of to the offer of salvation is someone God is drawing to himself. Mm-hmm. No man comes to me unless the Father draws him, Jesus says. I'm the Messiah, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the, I'm the living water, but no man comes to me unless my Father draws him. And that drawing is done through the Spirit, it's, doing, it's done in accord with God's eternal uh, choice in eternity past. Right. But, but that's the thing, I, I offer nothing. The old song, uh, uh, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling, O Lamb of God I come. And that's, that's something people think, well... And I do believe this is why so many people play with God, put it off. Well, someday. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's not your day. It's today is the day of salvation, and I I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Now I would throw in one more thing uh, regarding uh, a moment ago. Save from what? If you ask a Christian person that, they might say, "Well, I was saved from a life of drugs." I was saved from a life of violence. I was a gang member. I was hooked on on meth, uh, methamphetamines or uh, that fentanyl or whatever. Now, I was saved from. No, you were saved from your sins and the wrath they deserve. The sins were ma- the sin was manifested in those things. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, if you don't understand that, you think, well, I'm I was saved from that. And so there's nothing else left for me now. I'm out of that, and I'm free to go on my way. Rather than, no, you're saved from God's wrath, and that should create that sort of a, a wow that drives you to serve Him all the time. Mm-hmm. Things like that. But most of the time, when you go and ask why would you ask people a question, a direct question like, why would you, why would God allow you into his heaven. Right. Most of the time people come back, well, I think, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Right. Or they've got this idea that God weighs their good works against their bad works and that, you know, they've been pretty good all their life, so they're going to get in because uh, because of that. Uh, where do you, where does this teaching come from? And it's not a new teaching, is it? Uh, I mean, it's been around for for years. But where does that come from? It, it ultimately comes from our of our fallen hearts and thinking we can we can merit the goodness of God that we're not as bad as God says we are. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a conversation with a man once 
And he said, well, I just believe that when you die, if you've done enough good works, you'll, you know, you'll be all right. If you've lived a good life, you'll be all right. And I just had to point out to him, which I would continue to do if somebody said this to me, what is your definition of good? I mean, in our 21st century world where there's all kinds of information all the time, we now, there's no question about it that everyone has a separate definition of good. So whose definition of good should we use? A Democratic definition of good? A Republican definition of good? A Muslim definition of good? A, a Taliban definition of good? I mean, how do we come to a de- decision about what is good? And ultimately, that exercise can help us to see that we're setting up our own definition of good, and then we expect God to accept that. Right. So it's not a matter of what he considers to be good. When you say, well, I think if, if you've done enough good works, but are you using God's definition of good? Because if you are, then, then you have to go to the scriptures and read Romans 10, no one does good. No, not one. Right. Uh, the, one of the misunderstood passages of scripture is when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, well, good master, what must I do? And he says, why are you calling me good? Mm-hmm. His point is not to deny that he is good. Right. His point is to call attention to the fact that only God is good. And if you're calling me good, then you must assume that I'm God. Now, are you going to do what I tell you? Right. Well, of course, we know the answer. And the young man went away sorrowful because his what he possessed was more important. So we have to have an external, outside of humankind definition of good. And that only comes from God. It, can, it only can come from God. And so, the, so that's the predicament. But people, uh, people simply refuse to accept that. And the most powerful scripture, which links up to the love of God. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes in the Son is not condemned, and he that believes not is condemned already. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and the world preferred the darkness because their deeds were evil. The reason we reject Christ is because we don't want to accept God's definition of good and evil, right and wrong, and that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where God says, don't do that, and Satan says, oh, yeah, it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. You'll get everything you want. That's right. That's right. Um, so what I'm hearing, basically, this is, this is what I'm hearing. Tell me if I'm wrong. Not only do we need to know the attributes of God, what, the, what God's word tells us about what God reveals to us about himself. We need to know what God's word tells us about ourselves, <clears throat> that we're right. totally de- depraved, right. um, that we are and people don't like to hear this. I don't like to hear this, but we're evil. Um, when God looks, uh, God can't look at us because of our of our sin. Uh, we need to be cloaked in the righteousness of Christ, right. covered in. Uh, I think that's the way Scripture puts it. Um, do you want to expand on that? No, and tell me where I'm wrong. No, or no, you're you're right on. At, you're right on. Let's but let's go back a minute to the, what we were talking about churches earlier. Churches that only talk about God 
without talking about us. Because the Bible does both. It does, it does describe God, but it also mm-hmm. describes us. Right. And if you don't stop, if all you do is talk about God in a message or a sermon or a book, and you never talk about what God, how God sees his creation, uh, then, then, then yes, we, we're going to miss it. We need to see here what the Bible says about us. And it does not, with, with few exceptions, and, and some of those are, of course, uh, snippets. We've talked about this before. David was a man after God's own heart. David was also an adulterer and a murderer. You know, Gideon was a judge of Israel, but Gideon was also uh, slipped into idolatry at the end of his life. Uh, Samson was a womanizer. He was used mightily of God, but he couldn't keep his pants up this way we would describe it today. Uh, that's so, so, so the scripture says we are broken, and you're not going to get the right picture of God without the right picture of man. Right. So we go to the scripture for both. So yes, you're, you're dead on. You're dead on about that. So I guess a lesson we could learn is that when we witness, and we should have the zeal like this man who came up to. Dr. Sproul and, and said, are you saved? Right. We, need to, we need to have that same zeal and love for people um, because we don't want them to experience the wrath of God. I mean, and uh, of course, I certainly don't want to experience no. that wrath. Uh, uh, I, I want to do everything I can to avoid it, but I want to also do everything I can for others to avoid it as well. And the only way we can do that is by what Christ tells us in, in the Great Commission. Right. To go out and share the gospel. Um, and I'm ashamed sometimes, you know, when I think about it, how often I share share the gospel. But hopefully podcasts and things like this um in a situation like COVID, you know, it, it does make it hard. But thank God, we're—I uh, think we're starting to come out of well, it. We, we, well, we are. I hope so. Uh, uh, people are starting to resist <laughs> uh, a whole lot more, and people, I believe, are starting to see what's going on. So hopefully, um, hope, hopefully, God brings us out of that. But did you have any more? I know I forgot to. Tell people you're not only a pastor, but you're a pilot, and uh, you ride motorcycles, yeah. and you're an author right. as well, an, accomp- an accomplished author. How many books have you written? <laughs> I've got 11 in print, but I don't know if accomplished wow. is the right word or not. 11 in print and more, and another one in the works. So, okay. And you're a blogger? I'm a blogger, well. yeah. You want to give them the address to your blog, and I'll also post it. Williams dash word no Williams dash good dash word dot org dot org yeah and the church website I'll also uh, post that underneath the the video so you can see that and go check out uh, Reasoning Tree Church in Edinburgh Virginia and if you're in the area please stop by and come wor- worship with us um, we we would love to have you so. Thank you very much, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. Bless you, my friend. Thank you for your great insight and Uh, and your wisdom. 
Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards was brought to you by BibleBulldog.com. Purveyors of antiquarian Bibles, theology books, and other Christian items. Also enjoy hundreds of podcasts and sermons while you visit BibleBulldog.com. Visit BibleBulldog.com today.